Live from the Mattress Peddler Studio, it's Mike Bradley and the WGMD Morning Team. It's the Red Maryland segment with Greg Klein, covering all things political in the old line state. Here on 92.7 WGMD, WGMD.com, and the WGMD app. All right, 7.50 is the time. And Greg joins us on the Backyard Works Newsmaker Line. Greg, good morning, sir. Thanks for joining us once again. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You got it. And uh, real quick, I want to use this opportunity to promote the fact that next half hour we'll have Lower Eastern Shore, Maryland State Senator Mary Beth Carosa live from Annapolis. And tomorrow at 720, uh, a gentleman that I have on often to talk about national politics is former Maryland Congressman and Governor and New York Times bestselling author Bob Ehrlich. So looking forward to that as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, Greg, let's go back. I know there was a State of the State address yesterday. We'll get to that in a second. But let's go back to Tuesday of this week. There was a congressional primary, a very interesting uh, type scenario here with the way the calendar falls and the death of former Congressman Elijah Cummings. Uh, There were a number of people, as you always talk about, that come out of the woodwork for uh, congressional elections. Uh, Who won on the Dem side? Who won on the Republican side? And do the Republicans have at least a fighting chance there? Well, okay, let's start with who, with who won here. This, is, of course, was a special election to replace the remaining term uh, of Elijah Cummings, the 7th Congressional District. Right. Kwasi uh, Fume was the winner, the former congressman from that district. I thought former, he might, yeah. Yep. The former head of the NAACP he had very wide name recognition, which we knew would be a big advantage. He won with 43% of the vote in, in a crowd of, as you point out, 24 candidates on the Democratic Oof. side. Wow. Uh, the next, the next two, Maya Cummings and and uh, Jill Carter, were way back at 17 and 16 percent, respectively. Uh, so it was a pretty impressive. The margin's pretty impressive that he won by. It's not a surprise that he won. I think he was the favorite. Uh, and you had something similar on the Republican side. Obviously, there are a lot fewer Republicans in that district and who came out to vote. You had um, eight Republicans who were running. Kim Klasick who was the best known of the Republicans, who some some folks might have seen on Fox News, and she has a pretty good um, social media presence that mm-hmm. she was the one that actually uh, got the president to pay attention to some of the things that were going on uh, in that district. She won. She also got 40% of the vote, uh, 40.7% of the vote. Liz Matori, who was also running an active campaign, uh, was, was a, a pretty distant second. So those are the two winners of the special primary uh, of course, this, the general special election is the same day as the primary election in April for the the uh, November election. So you you've uh, got both of those things going on. And what's interesting is um, the governor signed emergency legislation uh, this week. I think earlier this week that would allow folks who were candidates in this special election but who lost. But who were filed to be in the in the regular election in uh, primary would be in April to drop out essentially. Um, but according to some of the reporting in the Baltimore Sun, it doesn't sound like too many are going to take advantage of that. So, mm. um, what was the tur- of- what, what was the turnout like, Greg? Because I, I read that uh, there were still uh, several people that uh, were not aware that the election was on Tuesday. Well, I'm sure there were plenty of people who who were aware of that uh, the the. The turnout that I saw was about 18 percent of registered voters turned out, which Jeez. is which is not terrible, considering it's a special election in February. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. and in the context special, of it, yeah, 
Yeah, and in a gerrymandered congressional district, I mean, a lot of people don't know where their congressional <laughs> district is. And I'd also point out, and, and the Sun points this out as well in their article, you know, these are closed primaries. So only registered Republicans and registered Democrats could vote. Right. So when you have, you know, 30 percent of the electorate registered as something else, uh, those folks weren't able to vote either. So 18 percent is not great. But it's not it's not shockingly low, to be sure. Um, and I don't have that broken down between Republicans, and Democrats, as far as that goes. But but uh, we, we certainly didn't have high expectations that there would be great turnout. And, and we, it may have exceeded that. The weather may have been a part of that. Certainly having 24 people running, trying to get people to the polls may have may have helped a little bit. But uh, it, it was about what we would expect as far as turnout goes yeah well the funny thing i was going to work on sunday morning in baltimore to my part-time gig up there at the fan and my parents uh, live not too far away from the station so the station's in mount washington my parents are in the in the lutherville area so i i was driving to the station sunday morning and i was driving and i saw a coming sign and i'm thinking well wait a minute that's not my parents uh you know congress that's not their congressional district and it just as i took a look at the map i'm like Oh my golly, that is that is uh, extremely gerrymandered. <laughs> I mean, not yeah. not that I'm surprised, but I'm looking at that. I'm saying you have got to be kidding me. I said that is that is awful. I mean, I know the state's gerrymandered generally, but I said that is really awful. Taking a look at it, but uh, those are those are the facts. Hopefully, it'll change. I'm not going to hold my breath with that. With Democrats in control in Annapolis, not wanting to do a damn thing. Uh, but with that said, switching gears, but sticking in Annapolis, uh, Greg. Yesterday, the governor gave his state of the state address. Uh, your thoughts on it? Well, I, look, I, I think it was a pretty typical address that the governor's given. Uh, the governor's a guy who's very disciplined when it comes to messaging, so a lot of things that he talked about are things that he's been talking about leading into session, mm -hmm. um, things that he's been talking about literally since his inauguration. He hearkened back to, to what he said back then, um, so he's pretty consistent in that. He talked, he hit on all the points that he's been talking about, uh, whether it's the education spending that he's already approved and why we don't why we need more accountability rather than just talking about spending more money he really emphasized and hit hard on the number one issue that the governor and republicans are talking about and the number one issue that the voters care about and that is crime and his efforts to do that really challenging uh, the General Assembly to pass some specific pieces of legislation to deal with violent criminals and accountability. It's, it's interesting, Mike. I, I thought the speech was very good, um, and it's very much in the tone that we've seen the governor give. You know, this is, his, I think, his fifth state of the state, um, and it's, you know, very much what we've heard before, calls for bipartisanship, talking about things that he's accomplished uh, in a bipartisan way, and also challenging Democrats to to go further on stuff that they've been pushing back on. You know, the governor's talking about putting people in jail longer, holding judges who give lenient sentences more accountable. Yeah. The Democrats had a the Democrats had a press conference, uh, I think, yesterday, the day before the state of the state, so Tuesday, uh, and their plan to deal with crime is, you know blaming the governor, you know, that they're not doing a good enough, you know, where the governor wants to take violent criminals off the streets and keep them in jail, the Democrats are saying the problem is the parole and probation isn't keeping a close enough track on them. Um, you know, they're not interested in just keeping them off the streets. They think that the problem is that the, the, the executive isn't keeping enough track of them in the parole and probation officer and things like that. It's, you know, um, it's just a completely different worldview. And um, I think the governor pointed that out when he challenged him to pass things 
like the Witness Intimidation Prevention Act and the Violent Firearms Offenders Act and, right. and the Judicial Accountability Act. Some of those he knows the Democrats will never touch. Some We'll see. May get passed. Well, look, he has accomplished a lot with it being a very blue state, but this will probably be the most difficult assembly for him. And I know that he could talk about what they've accomplished and how it contrasts to nearby Washington, D.C. But I'll tell you right now, that's going to erode. Now, it doesn't do him any good uh, to sit there and try to bash Democrats in his state of the state speech. I understand that. But the idea, though, that things are you know, rosy in Annapolis, well, that's not exactly the truth either. Yes, they've accomplished more, but to some extent they have to <laughs> because they're constitutionally mandated in some uh, in some respects. They can't just uh, pass uh, you know ongoing spending bills they have to pass a, a balanced budget etc uh, but this is clearly going to be his most difficult session and we shall see next year at this time what he's saying in the state of the state uh, address well i we, we will and it'll be curious to see what happens you know we if he's not a little bit more aggressive next year we shall see I, I, yeah, and I think also, you know, what's interesting is that, that he's really challenged and, and taken the message to the people and had some success. Yeah, that's true. You know, especially you know, the state Senate, and we talked about this before, Bill Ferguson, and you can talk with Senator Crows about this in the next hour. I th- I've heard her say this as well. Um, they, you know, he's been, Senator Ferguson has been saying, we're not going to lurch to the left. We're going to kind of, you know, have a smooth transition here which I think is really a a defensive reaction to the governor pushing hard against the idea of raising taxes and what what a lot of us assume would be a hard lurch to the left. Uh, that we haven't necessarily seen. I think it's yeah, but Greg, you had five veto overrides last week. You know, I mean, it, it, that uh, I'm not buying that they're not going to the left. They they did it last week. I, I think you're exactly right about that, and and they're going to be some. You know, they're they've passed the the long arm regulation in the House this week. Uh, that probably will get to the governor's desk in one form or another. I think it'll be a little closer in the Senate. It'll be interesting to see what the governor does with that. You're, you're absolutely right. And the really big, cont- most contentious issues, we really haven't had the knockdown drag out yet as far as raising taxes and passing Kerwin. We haven't gotten there. And I think the governor's parried them a little bit with this crime issue. Uh, but you're right. It's going to get tougher. But the Democrats have have not been as aggressive as we assumed they would be so far but we'll see mm. yeah well we'll see i i mean i'm seeing it already but uh i i hear what you're saying kerwin will be i guess the the ultimate litmus test though and uh, remember though ferguson is a rookie so <laughs> we'll see as years go on but great thank you as always great job redmaryland.com redmaryland on facebook and twitter and we will catch you next thursday sir Sounds great. Thanks right. for having me. You got it. Anytime. Greg Klein does a great job as always joining us on the Backyard Works Newsmaker line. News is next.